Welcome to the Moms of Tweens and Teens podcast. If some days you doubt yourself and you don't know what you're doing, if you've ugly cried alone in your bedroom because you felt like you're failing, well, I just want you to know you're not alone and you have come to the right place. Raising tweens and teens in today's world is not easy. And I'm on a mission to equip you to love well and to raise emotionally healthy, happy tweens and teens that thrive. I believe that moms are heroes and we have the power to transform our family and to impact future generations. If you are looking for answers, encouragement, and to become more of the mom and the woman that you want to be, welcome. I'm Cheryl Gould, and I am so glad that you're here. Hi, friend. Welcome to the show today, and I'm so glad that you are here with me. And one of the biggest complaints that I hear from parents of teenagers is that their teenagers are not getting enough sleep. And it is really challenging with their schedules and homework and all they have going on and trying to relax and get some downtime and just a host of things going on that makes it challenging. And experts say that chronic sleep deprivation among teenagers has been linked to worse academic performance and mental and physical health problems substance abuse, and drowsy driving. And because of the litany of public health risks, there is good news. The American Academy of Pediatrics has called for schools to start no earlier than 8.30 a.m., as even 60 extra minutes of sleep per night can have major benefits in staving off long-term health issues. My special guest today is Lisa Lewis. She has advocated for California's law for a later start time in high schools and recently published a book called The Sleep Deprived Teen. We talk today about the consequences of the lack of sleep in our teens and how we can help them to thrive. We're going to talk about how much sleep they need, what happens when they don't get enough sleep, what the research has shown, how they're they're advocating to make start times later, and how you can get involved in this, and how we can help our teens to get enough sleep, and more. So let's dive in. Well, welcome, Lisa, to the Moms of Tweens and Teens podcast. I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, and I'm excited to talk about your recently released book, The Sleep Deprived Teen, Why Our Teenagers Are So Tired and How Parents and Schools Can Help Them Thrive. And this book has received raving reviews from not only the media, but experts and parents and educators. And I am excited to dig in around this because, oh my gosh, it is such an issue with my listeners trying to get their kids out of bed. 
Uh, I want to launch in first and just ask you to share a little bit about yourself and what motivated you to write this book. Yes. So, yeah, it's a huge topic. It's something I have been immersed in for the last seven years um, because my interest in this really, really was peaked when my oldest, my son, was starting high school. So that was seven years ago now. It was the fall of 2015 when um, he was entering his freshman year of high school. And at that point, our local public high school started at 730 in the morning. So it was incredibly early and it was the earliest he'd ever had to go to school all the way through. Um, and I was the one driving him to school. You know, every day we'd leave the house at 710. And, um, you know, I was alert, you know, as an adult, it's not my preference to be up and out that early. But, you know, he was not in any, you know, shape or form alert and ready to be going off for a full day of learning. So put on my journalism hat, you know, started looking into this. I was trying to figure out why is it that our school starts so early? And I quickly found out a few things. Um, the first was that it had started at 7.30 for years, years and years. Um, you know, I talked to other parents, even people who had gone to the same high school themselves. And, you know, they couldn't remember time when it hadn't started so early. But then I also realized it wasn't just our high school. This wasn't just some fluke. This was actually the case in so many communities around the country. And 7.30, obviously, is super early. But there are also high schools out there, even today, starting as early as 7 in the morning. So, yeah, I mean, just incredibly early. So I started looking into this. And, and it just so happened, the timing was a bit fortuitous. When I started researching and writing about this, the issue itself was just hitting a critical mass. So again, this was 2015. The previous year, the American Academy of Pediatrics had issued a very influential policy statement recommending that middle and high schools start no earlier than 8.30 because these really early start times impact our teen sleep and that has so many ramifications for their health and well-being. So I kept writing about this and one of the articles I wrote came out um, the fall of my son's sophomore year. So 2016, it was an op-ed ran in the Los Angeles Times. It was called Why Schools Should Start Later in the Day. And that ended up being read by one of our California state senators. And he, at that point, had his own high schooler who, you know, his daughter was just starting her freshman year. So this was an issue that resonated with him. He decided to look into the issue further with an eye towards introducing a bill on the topic. And that is exactly what happened. And I got um, swept up in that whole process. Um, I should backtrack and mention that in addition to writing about it, I also was wanting to be an advocate locally. So I had identified this resource, this group called Start School Later. It's a national nonprofit. It started my own local chapter. Well, his, his office, the Senator Portentino's office, had also identified Start School Later as a resource, reached out to them. They looped in all of us who were chapter leaders in the state of California. So I actually knew about this even before the bill was introduced in 2017. And so that's how I got swept up in that. I ended up testifying at the Capitol. Um, it was a two and a half year legislative journey. And that's a huge eye-opening process. If you have not been involved in politics before, as I have not, it was, you know, just astounding and, and you know, an, an incredible learning experience. But that bill finally got signed into law 2019. 
and then just went into effect this past July. And we are the only state as of now that has a law setting any kind of minimum of how early schools are allowed to start. And so as an outgrowth of that whole process, and again, this has literally been, you know, one of my main areas of focus these last seven years, the book came out of that. And so, yeah, the the book came out in June, the law passed in July. It has been a a very busy um, 2022. For you. Wow. I, I am just struck by the timing of everything. You wrote that article. He sees it. He has a teenager. He gets it. And just how it was a snowball effect. It really was. It really was. I never would have predicted that's what was going to happen. As a writer, you write, you put something out there, and then it's out in the world, and you never know what might come from it. I mean, this was definitely something I, I would not have predicted, but I'm I'm amazed and grateful at the way it all unfolded. Wow. Well, I am so grateful to you and for what you're doing and that law, because I would say this is one of the top stressors for my listeners. Dealing with a teenager that, especially after the pandemic, we could, gosh, talk so much about how that's affected them, but trying to get them up in the morning and even them setting like multiple alarms and trying to drag them out. I have a mom that was just telling me her daughter has to be at volleyball at 6 a.m. in the morning because school starts so early that then they have to get there early for the sport and just what happens in the morning before she gets her there, the fights that ensue and how difficult it is. So I would love for you to speak to what are some of the costs that our kids, our teens are experiencing because of the sleep deprivation? Oh, absolutely. Um, Well, being sleep deprived has no positive benefits. I mean, just to, to, to put that out there, nobody does anything any better as a result of being sleep deprived, but especially for our teens. Um, well, I guess I should backtrack and just mention teens need more sleep than adults do. So they're still growing. Obviously you see that the immense physical transformation that happens during adolescence. It's also a major phase of brain development. So Um, up until age 18, they should still be getting eight to 10 hours every single night. And just to to, to make sure people are aware of that, because I think sometimes people just hear eight hours and they think, oh, well, that's enough. You know, for us as adults, yeah, that's great because we need seven to nine. So eight's right there in the middle. For teens, that's the minimum they should be getting. So unfortunately, far too many teens are not getting enough sleep. And that does have implications across the board. I would say probably the, the biggest one, especially now, um, you know, coming out of the pandemic in these last few years, especially, is the fact that when you are sleep deprived, it exacerbates mental health issues. So depression, anxiety, suicidality, um, because our emotional resiliency is lower when we're sleep deprived. And this is something that, you know, as adults, we intuitively understand when you don't get enough sleep, you're more reactive, you're more impulsive, you're not in as good of a mood. Um, And you layer that then on top of all the other stressors. And then particularly if there are mental health issues, it can heighten those. Being sleep deprived also increases impulsive behaviors, which unfortunately has some, some, you know, very real ramifications when you talk about suicidality. 
Um, and teens already are more impulsive than adults because they are still going through this very important phase of brain development. It's the second most major phase after the initial phase of pruning and remodeling and um, connectivity between the brain cells, but also between the regions. And they don't have the same executive functioning skills that we do as adults. So that impulse control already is not in place to the same degree. Um, so that's huge. And then there are implications for, you know, as I mentioned, pretty much everything else, school performance, um, even the basics like getting there, you know, tardies, attendance, um, actual school performance, graduation rates. If you're an athlete, it affects your performance out on the field. Um, if you're a driver, which so many teens are, and they're new drivers, well, being a drowsy driver makes things even more dangerous. So really across the board, as I mentioned, there is nothing that we do better as a result of being sleep deprived. And there's so many things that that we do quite uh, much worse. Yeah. You know, I thought it was very interesting when I was following you and I was reading and watching some things that in the 1950s, school didn't start until what, nine? Right. Yeah. Nine used to be sort of about the average start time for our high schools. But that has gradually drifted earlier over the years to 7.30 or even seven. And then you, you were just referencing volleyball, you know, all these kind of optional zero period activities that our kids have. So they're, you know, starting at nine and that, that just isn't, doesn't happen anymore. But what was so interesting was why these start times have drifted earlier. It wasn't because it was better for students. It was because by and large, because of the um, transportation, because of the school buses. So as a, a way to um, cut costs and, you know, trim budgets, schools once, you know, at, well, a lot of this also had to do with suburbanization and the growth of these larger consolidated high schools. And so then you have larger distances. And so then, you know, busing became a thing. But then to save money, a lot of districts decided, well, we can just use one fleet of buses for elementary, middle and high by staggering those drop off and pickup times. Mm. But at the time they were doing this, this research on adolescent sleep, which which we'll get into, was not widely known. The fact that teens naturally shift to a later sleep schedule. And so teens were put into often by default into that earliest time slot thinking, oh, well, you know, they're the oldest. They should be able to handle it. Well, now we know because there is all this research that has come out that, no, in fact, if anything, it should be the opposite. Um, and yet in so many communities, we have what I call these legacy schedules that have really just endured long past the point where, um, where they should. Wow. I was just struck by, I feel for our teenagers because they're so stressed out anyway. They're so scheduled and the amount of homework they have now and the pressures and all the after school stuff they're involved in. I mean, Getting up so early just adds, compounds that stress. Oh, that absolutely. Absolutely. So, and part of that too, getting up early for a teen, they're on a different sleep schedule than we are. And, and then they were when they were little. So this is another key piece. So, you know, again, one, one key bit of information that not everyone always knows is that yes, teens really do need eight to 10 hours of sleep. But another is that they have a circadian rhythm shift that takes place uh, at, the, at the onset of adolescence, meaning their sleep schedule shifts. 
So, you know, when you have a little kid, they bound out of bed at 6 in the morning <laughs> and they're alert and they're ready to go. And then they fall asleep relatively early in the evening. That's their schedule. Well, for teens, that all shifts later. So um, their teens are not in general feeling sleepy until about 11 o'clock at night. And this has to do also, it's, well, sleep is a very complex process. I should just mention that. And I'm not a sleep scientist, but I wanted to understand a bit and share this, you know, so I go through in the book, some of these basics. So melatonin is the hormone that primes us to feel sleepy. It begins to be released later in the evening at adolescence and doesn't subside until later in the morning. And so that is why our teen sleep schedule shifts. And so if they're not feeling sleepy till about 11 o'clock at night, and then of course, you know, many of them are not going to bed even as early as 11 and they need eight to 10 hours of sleep. You can see why when school starts to early, it's cutting into that sleep and is really the primary driver by and large of this teen sleep deprivation crisis. I mean, I do not think crisis is too strong of a, of a word to use. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think crisis and epidemic is very appropriate with what, what our kids are going through with school and everything yeah. starting late, not getting enough sleep. So I'm curious, what is the difference that you have seen since they have a later start time? Have you been seeing some, have you been hearing how it's going and the difference it's making? Yeah, well, so I should also mention that California is the first state to enact this on a statewide basis, but there are countless communities around the country that have done this over literally over the last several decades, the first school to change its start times based on the research was back in 1996 in Edina, Minnesota. I mean, that mm -hmm. is how long this research has been, has been around. And so this has happened in so many different communities. The problem is though, it's been done on a patchwork basis, not enough schools and districts have changed. But what um, has been found time and time again is when schools shift to later start times, teens get more sleep. And um, one study that was just, I was blown away when I, when I read this, this was back in 2017, the data came out. This was right when I was in the midst of, you know, helping with the California law. Um, they, a researcher went back and looked at um, schools in seven different states that had changed their start times over a period of years. And I'm, I'm just looking at that. It was 30,000 high schoolers, 29 high schools, seven states. They went back and looked two years later to take a look. And what they found was the average graduation rates at those schools went up from 79% to 88%. I mean, so just to give you a sense of what this means from a school perspective, too, right. let alone what it means for our teens' health and well-being. Um, but yes, it, it you know it's one of those uh, things where there's a misconception that oh well, schools will just shift to a later start time and kids will just stay up later and it'll be a wash. And that is not the case. Teens do stay up a little bit later in the evening, but they more than make up for it with the additional sleep they're able to gain in the morning. So here in California, it's a little early. It's only been in place, you know, since the beginning of the school year, August or September. Um, but I have seen anecdotally, because there's been all sorts of coverage, um, you know, students really talking about how how much better they feel when they're able to get enough sleep, which makes sense, right? I mean, if you're asked to get up at, at you know the crack of dawn and you're still feeling sleepy, that's not a good feeling. 
Yeah. Well, here and I'm north of Chicago, they have late start days. So I think if I'm remembering it accurately, because my daughter's since graduated from high school, I think it was two days, two or three days a week that they've been doing that. Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah. They're just more relaxed. When they get to school, their brains are more awake and engaged. It's less stressful. Therefore, it, it was just the mornings weren't so rushed and and crazy. I mean, that was just, a, it was much more relaxed and, you know, get up, make your breakfast. You have a little pad time so that she's not running, 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 you know, and uh, right. I just know it felt better to me just having those days. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so many of our kids, they are just going nonstop from the minute they wake up, they have so much going on. And and that's another contributor. I mean, that I think it's so important to acknowledge just the amount of um, really pressure that our teens are under these days, and the number of activities they have going on, because all of that contributes to that just the need to have some downtime is so important because sleep is important, but also having just some time for rest, for downtime. Um, and, and that's a, it's a tricky issue because, you know, kids are doing this because it's part of the expectation and it's part of what they feel they need to do to be successful and to, you know, get into a good college, et cetera. And it can be too much. It really can. So one of the recommendations, in fact, um, for parents and teens too can do this, is to just really take a hard look at whether their teen is overscheduled, where you can literally just sketch out the number of hours that are devoted in any given day to not just being in school, but the amount of homework for each class they're taking, because many kids are taking advanced or AP classes, which of course have a heavier homework load then the amount that they have allotted for practice, whether it's sports or drama or speech and debate, what have you, Um, they have a job. And you just add up all of that time and see if there's even a window left of eight to 10 hours to give them the opportunity to be able to get enough sleep. Because if you add up all those commitments and you see that literally there's not even eight to 10 hours left, Mm -hmm. it might be time to reevaluate. Yeah, I love that question. Thinking about where is my kid really overscheduled? This can actually be impacting their mental and emotional health where their stress level is really high. And then they're and then because of that, they're studying really late. Or I'm imagining, did you see any connections to them trying to have that downtime? And so then they're staying up later just to have some sort of downtime. So then they're on their phones. So what do you do about that? Right. Oh, tech is such a huge issue. I I have a whole chapter about tech in my book and it's, it's, it's an issue that affects us as adults too. Right. I mean, it, it is insidious. The fact that, you know, I, tech has infiltrated our lives so much that um, it's something that can be very difficult sometimes to manage. And part of that is because these devices, these apps were designed to be deliberately immersive. So it isn't just that, you know, we or our teens are, are, are weak-willed. We are engaging with these, these devices exactly as they were intended for us to do. So even, you know, as an adult, if you think about 
if you're watching a, a TV show and you're streaming it, and at the end of the show, it just has that little countdown. And if you don't do anything, boom, you're in the next episode. Like that was a deliberate decision by somebody at some point to keep us just watching. And it's the same when you think about tech. Um, the, the teen brain is even more primed to respond um, to rewards um, and um, dopamine reinforcement. Exactly. And so, but that's what a likes a like is when you're, you know, looking at your app and you're looking, did I get enough likes on this post? Or if you're leveling up in a video game, like those are all feeding into that. So just to kind of set the stage of what we're up against. Um, and tech is such a critical part of our teens socialize like that really is true and that and that is valid and it's the same way when I was growing up I would spend hours talking on the telephone mm -hmm. well, now it's these other ways of communicating so, so it really does have a place in their lives but to your point it can be too much and if they're on too late at night, it can be literally cutting into sleep time. Um, that and then the fact that what our teens are doing online is often engaging and stimulating. So that's kind of revving them up. So those are the two main ways that the tech use can impact sleep. Um, and as an aside, I was really surprised to find out when I talked to some of these sleep scientists that it wasn't blue light being the primary driver of, you know, uh, stealing their sleep. That's a factor, but these other two were even more important because blue light is um, something that these backlit devices emit and blue light is something that primes us to feel alert. So that's also in the mix. But again, the, the primary ways that tech tends to be impacting sleep are the fact that it's taking away from our sleep time and that it's kind of revving us up. So, to your question, um, the American Academy of Pediatrics actually recommends no tech use an hour before bedtime. So those are the official recommendations. Um, it can be a process getting to that point though, particularly when you have teens. If you haven't had these kind of rules in place all along, it needs to be more of an ongoing discussion. They have to buy into it. Um, it helps immensely if we as parents are setting a good example and walking the talk. So a best practice is get devices out of the bedrooms, charge them in a central location. Okay. That means our devices too. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's not just you team need to do this. Um, another best practice is to encourage teens to develop a wind down routine so this is similar to what we did as parents for them when they were little. You know, you'd read them a book and you'd, you know, snuggle and you have this, this transition time for getting ready for bed. So this transition time is still essential, even for our teens, for us as adults, because our brains don't just flip off. You know, you don't just flip the switch and go, okay, boom, I'm going to go to sleep. So this transition time to help you wind down and also having a set series of steps, because then that kind of also helps prime you, oh, I'm now in this mode. And so, you know, it's reading a book, perhaps an old school book, an actual print book, ideally not on your Kindle, uh, taking a warm bath. It's doing something that is sort of helping you, you know, disengage from all that go, 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 you know, of the, the day and transitioning for evening. So that's another tip is to help, you know, encourage them to develop their own wind down routine. 
Um, and then just really to make sleep a priority, as I mentioned, to be walking the talk, to be um, demonstrating that we as parents also are taking steps, you know, are doing these kinds of things ourselves. Yeah, I think it's such a good, those are such good tips. And also to include yourself in it and to have these ongoing discussions. Because as we were talking about before we got on here, it's hard sometimes to get their buy-in. Yeah. But, you know, to be having those conversations about why this is so important at a good time, not when things are, right. high, you know, and to make that, you know, taking it away an hour before bed, they're not going to like it. Just know that they're not going to like it and have a discussion beforehand about why it's important. Cause I don't think kids hear it. Yeah. Yeah. I need more sleep. But when you think about, like you said, the brain development and how it's impacting their mental health, it's, it's, uh, it's big, you know, it really is yeah, a big deal. It really is. And these are oftentimes on oftentimes ongoing discussions. Um, because it isn't just where you'll say, Hey, you know, here's, a, here's a best practice, great thing where they're just gonna say, Oh, thanks, mom. You know, I never, yeah. that. I really appreciate that. Um, so particularly if you haven't had these kind of tech rules in place, it can be a process. Getting their buy in also can be a process because it might be where they need to experience it for themselves. So, you know, I, and again, I talked to many sleep experts as part of this, trying to gather all these tips when I was writing, writing the book, but it's even things like, which again, makes sense at a minimum, turn off the notifications and the sounds on your phone, you know, so if it is going to be in the room at a minimum, you need to do that. Because even as adults, there are, there are studies out there of, you know, when people wake in the middle of the night, they get back on their phones which clearly there is nothing going on that, you know, you need to just check and see if somebody happened to have sent you an email overnight yeah. Um, yeah. or asking them, you know, well, why don't you try putting your phone on the other side of the room and see how, how did that go? You know, because if they personally experience it, it's probably going to be more impactful. Yeah. I love that you're saying that too, because that happened with my daughter where she was putting it away earlier and I asked her, how, how do you notice you're feeling? And she said, it was like the next day. And she said, I feel a lot better. So okay. she started seeing how she was feeling better. And that was a motivator. That is exactly the perfect approach. Yeah. To get them to see that they, you know, feel better. So what has helped you with your kids? Has this been a process for you? Are there a couple of things that have been able to, because you said, yeah, you've written this book, does it, but that doesn't necessarily mean your kids are proud of you, but they're not like, okay, mom, we're going right, right. to get 10 hours of sleep tonight. Right, right. No, it's definitely been a process and a discussion. So I have a 17-year-old and a 21-year-old. Um, so uh, my 17-year-old, my daughter, has, um, they, they both heard me talk about it over the last several years, but she's taken some steps on her own. For instance, um, sometimes she'll decide to um, take Instagram off her phone, you know, if, if she's doing it too much and she wants to take a break and then she can always reload it later. So, I mean, steps like that to sort of manage the technology as opposed to the technology managing us, which as I mentioned, it was designed to, to do that, unfortunately. So we do have to, as, as, you know, the users of it exert some control back over the process. 
Um, for a while, she had these little lights strung up around the ceiling in her room and they they flash different colors. And so at one point I was telling her about that, that, you know, the blue is not the color you want to have in the evening. You want to have a warm light, more in the orange or pink um, tones. And so that was something she, you know, that was an easy thing for her to do. And she said, oh, that's interesting, you know. Um, my son's away at college. And so this is another key piece, which is they're not always going to be ideally under our roofs. You know, they are going to move out. Um, and so they need to be able to manage this for themselves. So helping them take ownership of it and sort of, you know, believe that this is true and, 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 and make some of these um, changes and take these steps is so important because we're not always going to be there to ensure, oh, you know, go, go charge your phone in, in the kitchen. We're not going to call them up every night and see if they're doing that. <laughs> so ultimately they have to be responsible for it. Um, and I think that's another, you know, re really key point is uh, in part why you can't just sort of issue these rules and make it happen. Cause if they're not really bought in, you know, it, it may not last. Yeah. It made me think about how easy it is for me if I'm watching Netflix, just like you said. And I have to think, of, have to think to myself, I am going to be tired and not feel good tomorrow if I don't, you know, turn the TV off right now. Mm -hmm. And I think even saying that out loud, we can model that for our kids. Like I'm going to, I'm tempted to stay on here, but I'm going to turn it off because I know I'm not going to feel good tomorrow. Exactly. And, and vocalizing that you're right. So they are aware because a, it's a great thing to do for ourselves, but B it is also a, a, a teaching moment. <laughs> yeah. And that we struggle with it too. So what can we do? How can, Oh we my goodness. Yeah. I know I was guilty of doom scrolling, especially earlier this year, I would be on my phone, you know, looking through, cause I've got the various apps, the various news sites and just spending so much time doing that and realizing that is not healthy. Um, and so I actually set some limits on my phone where there, there are, you know, um, controls that you can go in on your phone and set where most of the apps will go to sleep at a certain time. So I set 930 as the time to do that. And it's not that I can't override it, but that really helps because it's there and it, it, it is that reminder. Oh, maybe it's time now to turn this off, move on to something else. <laughs> I love that. That's a great idea because it becomes a habit. I started getting in this in, in my bed and looking at my phone. I'm like, what am I doing? So, right, you know, right. Yeah. I would end up being on the phone rather than reading the book that I intended to be reading. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So in closing, uh, how can parents become advocates for their school districts. You mentioned the one the one organization, non-for-profit, that you're a part of, and they can get your book because you have such wonderful ideas in your book and digging deeper um, into what parents can do. But how can we be bring about this change? Yeah, it's a great question. So I, um, I actually have a couple of chapters where I kind of detail specifically advocating for later school start times. And this was based on, you know, my experience here in California, some of the best practices, because this group Start School Later that I'd mentioned, they're a terrific resource. I mean, it's a nonprofit, it's been around since 2011, and it's a way to kind of share information, gather resources, because there are communities where this has been done. But if you're just getting started in your community, um, 
one of the things would be not to do it on your own, to get together with some other parents, um, start a group. If you want to start a chapter, that's great. But even just getting together um, with other parents who feel the same way, start a Facebook group, um, bring it to the PTA, have a meeting on the topic. Um, I actually do go in and speak at schools and parent organizations because it's exactly this kind of thing. We're helping set this common basis of understanding of why sleep is so important is a pretty essential step so that people understand why you're talking about changing start times. Um, and, and I know we probably don't have time to get into all of it right now, but when you change start times, there are logistical issues, you know, that it, it does have a ripple effect. And so those are the kind of things that people sometimes otherwise, if they don't understand why we're doing it, it can be too easy to just focus on that. Oh, that's not going to be convenient. Oh, that's going to, you know, mean that this sports practice has to start 30 minutes later. Well, yeah, but these kind of issues can be addressed successfully. And they have been in every other community that's done this, but it takes time. And more importantly, you sort of need to have set this foundation of understanding to begin with, because teen sleep deprivation is a public health issue. So having people understand why this is being done and having people understand the realities of teen sleep, really, I would recommend as the first step, really just so that people understand the scope of the issue, what's at stake. And then you can start talking about it. And because of that, we're talking about doing this, but not to let logistics end up being, you know, the primary focus. The primary focus is teen sleep and the fact that it's a public health issue. Wow. So you go into this more in your book so they can get your book and you can help them in the book to walk through some of these things. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and it does take time. I mean, that's the reality. You know, I started on this when my son was a freshman. The, the change in the high school start time did happen, but it didn't happen in time for him. It did happen in time for my daughter. So that's the reality is that if you're doing it in your community, it probably is going to take some time. And it should ideally take some time because you have to address all these issues, you know, to really have it happen successfully and, and to really have people understand why this is happening. Wow. Lisa, thank you so much for what you're doing, because this is this is having an impact and a ripple effect across our country. And it's so needed. And so you have to really feel good about the work that you're doing and the fruit that you're seeing happen. Yeah, you know, it's I, I do hope other states follow in California's footsteps, because I do think, you know, this is the way to have it happen on a larger scale. Um, it's our law was the culmination of literally decades of research by the sleep scientists and, and the various experts and who were all incredibly supportive of what we were doing here in California. So it was a tremendous experience to be part of it, to have you know lit the spark for our law here in California um, and to have been able to work with all of these other sleep advocates on this. So I do hope that, as I said, that it does have a ripple effect to other states so that teens in other states can benefit as well. Yeah, so important for our kids' mental, emotional, and physical health and development. Absolutely. Yeah, sleep is is essential for all of us. And so I guess the one other thing I would say for teens, eight to 10 hours, for us as adults, seven to nine hours. And the more we can do to make it a priority to help our teens and ourselves get enough sleep. Because when we're well-rested and our teens are well-rested, everything just goes more smoothly. 
It does. I can totally tell. <laughs> I can't remember names when I'm sleep deprived. I can't. It's like my my brain just isn't working. And so it is, it's amazing how, how big of a deal sleep is. Mm-hmm. Well, tell our listeners where to find your book, where to find you. You've written all over the place. The book is The Sleep Deprived Teen, Why Our Teenagers Are So Tired and How Parents and Schools Can Help Them Thrive. Um, my website is lisallewis.com. Um, and they're also welcome to reach out to me on, you know, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, it's um at Lewis Lisa L. And I'm always happy to, you know, answer questions, DMs, etc. Wonderful. And I'll put those links in the notes so everybody can uh, access them easily. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. It's so lovely to talk to you. Well, that's it for today. And thank you, friend, for joining me. And if you would do me a favor, if you are finding this podcast helpful, if you would share it with a friend or leave a review, I would be so appreciative. We are all about getting the word out, spreading the love, getting support for ourselves and being able to give that support to our tweens and teens. So thank you for being a part of this podcast and our community. And I just so appreciate you. So have a great week and I will see you back here next time.